everyone. Welcome back to the Lifted Podcast. I'm Helen Denham, your host, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. So before we get into today's conversation with Remy, I have a couple little updates for you. First of all, I just launched my website, which is helendenham.com, H-E-L-E-N-D-E-N-H-A-M.com. And on the website, I've got all of my original music listed, which you can listen to for free. Um, I've got the Lifted podcast on there, a newsletter sign up for my Sunday emails, and a blog, which I'm really excited about because I get to write every day and share more with you. And secondly, unfortunately, my primary Instagram account at Helen Denham was hacked a couple weeks ago, and I still have yet to get it back up and running. So working on that. In the meantime, you can follow at We Are Lifted on Instagram, where I'm posting all of my updates and all things lifted. So those are the updates that I have for you. And now let's shift into my discussion with Remy Park. Remy is a vegan and gluten-free recipe developer, as well as a holistic nutritionist, and she's also a lifestyle blogger and influencer with a really wonderful community on Instagram and YouTube. Um, I came across her after reading a couple of her blog posts and through a mutual friend's recommendation, and I really just related to her journey into the wellness world and mindfulness. So let's get into it. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And if you do, leave a review and I'll talk to you on the flip side. All right. So first I wanted to ask you how you start your day. Cause after just kind of looking into like what your lifestyle is like, I can tell that you're very organized and I'm just very curious about what your daily routine looks like and especially what your morning looks like. Yeah. So I um, definitely am a morning person, a little bit too early, I think for most people, but I have, um, I don't know why it's like, I'm a very early riser, no matter where I am, um, regardless of like time zone. Um, It's a weird thing, but because of that, I try to get a lot done because it feels like those are the hours that I have to myself before emails start flooding in before everyone else is awake. Um, So it's really nice. I like to take advantage of it for the peace and quiet. So I would say, um, not really meditation, but just a couple of moments to myself. I try to do a little stretch in the morning first thing when I wake up, um, lots of water, a little dry brushing. I'll have a matcha usually, and it's kind of a lot of things, but I feel like it's all a bit of a meditation for me. It's a morning ritual and it makes me feel like the rest of my day, you know, that I'm in control and it's, uh, it's really nice. It's grounding. Totally. And do you have a to-do list set to go in the morning or how do you organize yourself so that you set yourself up for the day and you feel really good? Do you do that like the night before or do you kind of chill and get into the zone in the morning? Yeah, I I would say like the first hour I'm awake, I kind of do my morning routine. And at this point it feels almost like a, just a ritual. And I like just do it by memory sometimes the funniest thing, but I would say I really like to do emails um, in the morning actually and like mm-hmm. schedule to be sent out when people start waking up because it's nice to have sort of a pause on the inbox. I feel like during the day when I'm emailing, it's like nonstop flow in and out. And <laughs> I feel like my emails going out are just coming right back in. Um, so I like to have a little bit of time doing that. And that's kind of when I do my planning. I would say I do it in the morning um, based on, you know, the weather, how I'm feeling, priorities. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And how do you feel about using your phone in the morning? I have got, I've started to train myself to try to not look at it for like the first 30 minutes. Do you have that urge to look at your phone or do you put it down or how do you interact with your technology when you wake up? 
Yeah. So I, I try my best to keep my phone away for at least like an hour or so. And I feel like I'm early enough that I can do that and not feel worried about like, I'm missing out on anything, you know, most mm-hmm. people aren't awake. So I feel like it's fine. But if I'm ever having, um, you know, a serious moment where I'm like, I really need to step away from my phone, whether that's before bed, that's usually my problem. I'll actually put it in my drawer in my bedside. And I feel like just that extra step, um, makes me a little bit more mindful about when I'm reaching for it. Yeah. Like giving it a specific little home. So it's yeah, not like absolutely. grabbing for it. That's a really good trick. And I'm really curious about like how you got into the wellness world and what spurred that, uh, transition for you, if it was a transition or if you've always been in, into wellness. Um, I think, I think it all happened kind of organically. Um, and I think it happened because I needed wellness in my life. I think I was very unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first began to start, you know, cooking for myself and becoming vegan, all these things, um, it was a lot of healing for me. So, um, originally I started my Instagram account because I was healing from an eating disorder and the therapist that I was working with, I could only see her twice a week with my school schedule. So in, um, I guess on the off days, she would see the meals that I was eating and I made an Instagram account. She was my one follower at the time. Um, it was just a little bit of a more convenient way for me to be able to stay in school without having to go inpatient, but also feel like I had someone who was checking in with me throughout the day. Um, and you know, it made it a little bit more fun than just like eating food. It was something that I truly like really found very dreadful and, um, was very fearful of it at first. So this was a way to kind of bridge that gap between, um, something that I just wanted no part of. And from there, I think, um, you know, I, I would say I was very open with my feelings because it was almost like a diary. Sometimes I would share, Oh, you know, I ate this, but I was really afraid to eat, you know, avocado or whatever it might've been. Mm -hmm. And, um, because of that, I was always very used to and comfortable with being so open about sharing things on social media. Um, and then I think it was after maybe a couple months that Facebook and Instagram kind of like joined forces. And I must have, I don't know if I clicked something, but all of my Facebook friends found my Instagram. I was like, this is really embarrassing <laughs> because it was very, you know, it made me feel very vulnerable. But at the same time, um, I think that really helped me forge relationships that were a lot more real at the same time with all these people. Um, and I just, I loved the community that I had created on Instagram. I found so many other people who were also healing from eating disorders and I felt like I couldn't throw it away. Those relationships were everything and so helpful for my own healing. So I just changed the name, um, to something else. I started to put a little bit more attention into the recipes and making the food look good. And I think it was around the time that veganism wasn't yet too popular. And so it was helpful for friends who were interested in trying it out. And I felt valuable. And like, I was sharing something that could actually add something to other people's lives. So that was a really good reinforcement for me in terms of healing from, um, eating disorder. But, uh, the wellness came, I think, because after a while, I think that the rest of it started to kind of tie in because, um, for me, it was beyond just food. It was about my relationship with food, mental health. Um, and you know, just the very open conversation that I had with anybody reading or anyone that I would interact with. Um, we'd talk about things like, OCD, which is another very common thing with people who have eating disorders, things like that. So I think because of that, it just allowed me to kind of expand a little bit more and integrate all these different things and aspects of my life. But really, it all comes down to needing to be healthy. And that's really what um, introduced me into the wellness space, I guess. Yeah, I really love that you're so open about having your eating disorder. And And I think you had it from a pretty young age, right? You started with that struggle pretty early on. 
And I was, I was right there with you. I struggled with an eating disorder as well. And I think so many more women and girls struggle than we even realize as a society. The more I talk to people about it, the more surprised I am to find out that so many of us have been through something similar, but not everybody's talking about it and not everybody's sharing it. And I'm curious to, if you're comfortable with talking about it, like, why do you think that that um, was a struggle for you? Like, do you think it has to do with the messaging from the society that our society that we get in media or what do you think made you feel like you were at war with your body and, and food? Um, I think it was a couple things for me. Um, I think genetically I'm, I'm, there's something, you know, biologically that makes me more prone or vulnerable to having an eating disorder. I know that a lot of the things that I struggle with are along that anxiety spectrum and they're very much related. Like there's a lot of comorbidity between OCD, for example, or general, um, generalized anxiety disorder and eating disorders. So I think it's a combination of that, but, um, you know, my childhood, I would say was very, um, it was great. You know, nothing was really wrong, but there was a lot of change. We moved when I was seven years old to, um, Taiwan overseas, which was definitely a culture shock. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think there was also a little bit of this comparison because in the U S I would say kids are generally taller, um, a little bit larger in size, just, you know, genetically, whereas there, I think it's a combination of genetics and also the fact that there were less processed snacks, at that time. It wasn't as Western as it was in the US, of course. So there was that whole feeling like I'm so much bigger than a lot of the girls here. And I'm also taller. I've been the same height since I've been 12. So I was very tall for a kid. And I think just that feeling of being so much bigger and also feeling like I didn't have control over anything in my life at the time, but that was something that I could really hold on to. Um, So I don't really know why exactly, but I think that is probably a big contributor. That's a really interesting point that you just made. Cause I'm, I'm also really tall. I was like five, nine by the time I was in sixth grade, much taller than the boys. Oh, yeah. And I'm still, I look not luckily, but I stopped growing up five, nine, but I hit that height so fast and I can completely relate to how uncomfortable that was. And I had the same thing trying to make myself smaller um, so that I would be found more attractive and it was so interesting to kind of wiggle through that whole thing. But, um, and then tell me about why you decided to go vegan. Did you um, kind of naturally get into that? Or did that feel like your, your body was feeling better on a vegan diet? Or what made you decide to eat that way? Um, so it's funny because when I did have an eating disorder, I used to actually say that I was vegan, although I had no idea what it meant. You know, I was just a kid, but I was like, this is great because there's so many things I can't eat. So I have an excuse to turn down pretty much whatever. Mm. And, you know, nobody really knew what it was either. So it was just like my best go-to excuse um, a lot of the time. But when I um, got older, I had a lot of um, like chronic stomach issues and I realized it was probably a dairy allergy. And from there I started making recipes that just happened to be vegan because there was no dairy in it. I was making like vegan mac and cheese. Uh, I think just with all of the reading that I was doing into these recipes, I was curious about why people went fully vegan. So I decided after about like a week, I thought I would give it a try. And I felt the difference immediately. I think I tried to eat like a little piece of chicken or something. And I just felt this difference in my digestion, um, how eating made me feel as far as the sluggishness afterwards, a lot of that. And then of course I became more educated um, about, you know, the environmental impacts, the animals, the ethics, and it just made sense to me at the time. So 
I basically went vegan then. And um, I think it was really helpful for me though, in the long run, because although I think a lot of people can think of it as something that's a little bit restrictive and I think it could be potentially dangerous for people who have had histories of eating disorder. Um, but for me, it was kind of like a motivation to eat because I felt good about the choice that I was making. I felt this connection beyond just calories in and calories out with food. That was something that was really valuable to me that I felt like, you know, I'm doing a good thing. Um, you know, I feel like I'm contributing to helping out the environment, things like that. And of course, um, cooking was really like therapy for me and just touching ingredients, not being afraid of food and like being in the same room as food, being seen, holding and like touching food. So that was really helpful for me. I think in a lot of ways, it really bonded my relationship with food again. Yeah. And how do you go about your day now coming from this um, history of struggling with it so that you're consistently practicing self-love and how do you speak to yourself surrounding food now, now that you've kind of grown out of that and um, have shifted your perspective. Is there something that you like a mantra that you kind of have or, or some way of speaking to yourself that helps you approach food in a different way? Um, I would say, you know, I like to try and think of food as um, energy in a literal sense, but also I think about the energy that goes into the food. And I try to have this appreciation for, you know, where it comes from, what it does for me. And I think that understanding of seeing it as something that's almost a little bit more functional or nourishing and healing helps me appreciate the fact that I can eat food. Um, it makes me feel good about eating. And I would say for the most part, I try and stay away from the numbers part of food. So no tracking. Um, I think when you're eating more vegetables and whole plant foods, there's less space for checking ingredient labels and things like that. So that was really helpful for me in the beginning. But um, I try very hard to listen to my body. And that's something I think that's really challenging for a lot of people with a history of eating disorders. Um, there were times in my life where I was eating about four to 5,000 calories during the refeeding process. And then I had to kind of ignore my full cues for a while. And then again, I had to relearn hunger cues because all of a sudden I was eating what a normal person would eat again. So I think I just try and um, listen to what feels good. And I think a big part of that is tuning out the things that I see and hear on social media, because being on that space, it's inevitable that you're going to get these mixed messages from everywhere. One day it's low carb, another day it's keto. And a lot of people are on weight loss journeys. And I think that's great for them because they have a healthy relationship with food. But I have to remember that my situation is specific to me and that I, I can't do those things the way everyone else can. So I just stick to what I know. And um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you, you really come from a, a sense of intuitive eating and just knowing what feels really good for you, which is so nice. Um, yeah. I'm so interested too about how you've kind of brought in mindfulness and your meditation experience into this whole journey. Was there a point where you started to to study mindfulness and get uh, more serious about compassion for yourself um, and, and what might have triggered that? I think the mindfulness component definitely came hand in hand with the intuitive eating and just learning my cues again and learning to trust my body. Um, I think that I really had to tap into the underlying causes of, you know, what motivated me to want to either restrict or eat. And then also, you know, with substance abuse, like, what was the motivation behind doing that? And what was the motivation behind like days where I felt like I needed it again? Um, so I think it was just kind of a product of my healing in general, but something definitely that I worked with my therapist a lot on was just 
identifying feelings because I think most people are really good at ignoring feelings and body cues and just physical signs, um, which is our body's way of communicating with us. And relearning that is so important and just kind of taking time to, you know, hang out with yourself, <laughs> listen to yourself, have a conversation with yourself. Um, and then I would say through yoga and, um, you know, getting my yoga certification, I learned a little bit more of it in theory and practice more so. So that really helped me a lot as well. But I would say actually my meditation practice is not, you know, it's not something that I really do. And that's because for me <laughs> with OCD, it's like the quieter it is, it's almost louder in my head. Um, so I actually see yoga as something that is meditative for me. It's like doing something that I'm focused on and everything else kind of melts away. So I don't know if I'd say I have a great meditation practice yet. I think it's still a work in progress, but as far as mindfulness, um, I think it's something that you can apply to pretty much everything. And, um, as an empath, I think I, I also feel sometimes I'm like, wow, I have a lot of feelings that are really dramatic or I'm so sensitive, but at the same time, I think it's a blessing to, you know, be able to listen to those signs. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything like that you are reading right now that's really inspiring you? I'm always curious about what people are reading or what what books you might have picked up that that helped you. Um, so one book that I recently picked up, actually, a friend of mine wrote this book, um, and it's more specific to hormones. But I think it's a really good example of just how everything in our lives um, is so connected, and it all comes back to like our health and our well being. It's not just food. It's not just exercise. It's not just supplements, but, um, you know, as a result of the eating disorder, I lost my period for, uh, several years. And this book is all about basically restoring your hormones, but in a natural way. So this could be good for, you know, anyone who's like coming off of birth control. I was surprised though, at how much there was in this book about mindfulness and rest, um, you know, thinking about exercise in a different way and movement and just tuning into that. So that's been really helpful. And then another one of my favorite books, it's called The Art of Wellbeing. Mm. And it's a really cute book. Um, it's got these like little illustrations, but I found it in Australia. And um, it's kind of like, there's a section on recipes and food. There's a section on chakras. There's a section on, you know, mantras and like positive journaling and all things like that. Um, it's kind of like a cute, accessible version that I feel like is very approachable for people that doesn't feel too granola and crunchy. So that's always my favorite recommendation for people. It's like a fun intro way. Yeah. Did your parents bring you up in like a household that had like a spiritual component or were you brought up religious or I'm always curious about what people's upbringings were like. Okay. What was your family like and how did they bring you up? Well, my family is technically Christian, um, and we would go to church growing up. I wouldn't say we were the most Christian family. Like, we, we would just go to church, you know, do our thing. But um, it was interesting because when my mom first started going to yoga, it was kind of this, almost this taboo of, you know, is it Buddhist? Is it, should you be chanting Om? Is that really something that you can do as a Christian? And I know that for a lot of people, that's still an issue where they're like, yeah, I'm Christian, but, but, you know, so I can't do yoga. Um, and I think though that this mindfulness and spirituality, just believing in things and energies and there being something beyond what we can just see is relevant to <clears throat> every religion that there is, um, every faith and spirituality practice that there is, but, um, definitely it was something that was not necessarily discouraged when I was younger, but it was sort of like a, we didn't really talk about, you know, manifesting. We didn't talk about mindfulness. We didn't talk about yoga or meditation or anything like that. And um, as I got older and my mom was actually the first one to get her yoga certification, she realized, you know, this is not really 
what we thought it was. It's not, it doesn't need to be religious. It can be if you want it to be, but it's really just a mindfulness practice and something for yourself. Um, you don't even have to chant Om, you know? So uh, through her, we just became more open to it. You know, I think it's like when your mom says it's cool, it's like you can feel better about doing it, you know? <laughs> so everything was fair game from there on. Like, um, you know, we speak to readers sometimes, we'll go to meditation sessions, sound baths, everything is kind of fair game at this point, which is really cool because it's just been so nice to explore all these different avenues that exist um, to get to know yourself better, like astrology, human design, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also curious about your decision to not drink alcohol, which I'm so inspired by because I've gone through kind of months where I don't drink and then months where I'll have a little wine or something. But what's your experience been like with um, substance and alcohol specifically? Um, so I actually, I guess the decision was based on my realization that it was a problem. Um, I grew up in Asia when I was like a teenager. So I started drinking and going out around the age of 13. And that was kind of normal there, which is so crazy to say now, because my sisters are at that age and I, you know, I don't see them doing that if they live in the state. So it's, it's just really crazy to think about, but I think it's a combination of just there being not much to do there we would just go to clubs and it's easy to access, you know, they don't card you there. There is a drink, uh, legal drinking age, but it's, you can just pretty much get it wherever you want and substances are available. Everything's available. So, um, at the time it was just kind of like what we'd do for fun and hang out. You'd see people from high school and middle school, um, at clubs, at bars. And I think it was just that early relationship with it. Um, you know, my first night out, I experimented with both um, alcohol and substances. And from there on things just felt a little bit less scary. I felt like after having done, you know, those two things, I felt like nothing was really scary anymore or off the table. So, um, from there it was just normal. It was routine for me. Um, didn't think anything of it. And then I would say I realized there was a problem when it became, um, I think it was junior year or sophomore year. And basically something happened that really negatively impacted me. And I think I started using it as more of a coping mechanism. So, mm-hmm. Um, I would drink alone, which was really weird for me because it was definitely a social thing before that, you know, I would like use alone, all these things. And I had these, um, limits that I would set with myself and like reason with myself and say, you know, I'm never going to try this drug or I'm never going to do this or I'm never going to mix that. And then slowly, like I would just do it and come Mm -hmm. up with reasons for why I was going to like step over those boundaries I had set for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, again, it comes down to genetics. I know that some people can handle it. Um, I always try to remember that addiction is a disease. And a lot of people are able to just use it completely fine and not have this um, weird relationship to it. And I think that's fine. You know, like, if you can, I think that's awesome. Enjoy a glass of wine, celebrate with your family, you know. Um, so for me, I realized it was just not possible. And it was around the same time that I kind of went vegan. It also started to hit my body a lot harder. So, you know, I would really feel it if I went out to drink or if I used some kind of substance, it really just hit me so much harder because I was actually kind of healthy. Um, yeah, so it was a combination of everything, but, um, at the end of the day, you know, like I went to get help for it. I took it seriously because I had finally gotten like my first job out of school and I realized, you know, I need to grow up, like getting really tired of my BS, (laughs) my own BS. Um, Yeah. So you um, wrote a really cool blog post about that. I was just reading before we hopped on and you were comparing being high to being high vibrational. 
And I'd love that. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that too. Um, does being, you know, did substances feel like an escape for you or did you find a pattern in yourself that would go towards substance or control as a form of escape? And how did you shift that mentality into being high vibrational? I think definitely it was an escape for me. And also it was this feeling of joy that I'd never really felt by myself before that I didn't know was possible. Um, I hadn't been on antidepressants yet, but I know that I've had, you know, history with anxiety and depression, everything in that sort of realm. So for me, it was almost like, wow, I can't believe that you can sort of be this happy. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like it was fun a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I had this connection to it and felt like I could only achieve that mental state being, um, you know, intoxicated or on some kind of substance. And mm-hmm. as I got older, um, I realized, you know, that there was actually so much to life. I just wasn't doing it. <laughs> so things like yoga, um, hanging out with friends that, you know, you could actually talk to. It wasn't just you're having these moments that you can't remember. I think that was a big yeah. part for me. It was just like being able to remember the next day. It was such a new thing to me and really cool. Cause I was like, wow, I had this great night and I actually know what happened. You know, yeah. But a lot of like steps along the way that I was like, these things are cool and they do make me happy. And I should focus on those things and pursue that. Um, instead of this almost fake, I guess it was fake. It was like a synthetic happiness almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then as far as like high vibrational, I think I realized um, through veganism as well that I was doing all these things because I wanted to be kind to the environment and the animals, but I wasn't being kind to myself. Mm. Like that just doesn't make sense. (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that definitely helped a lot. And um, as I studied more and more, just the science behind it, that was something that helped me understand myself a little bit more, was just looking into the science behind addiction as well. Um, I started to read a lot about how you can actually achieve these mental states and like states of feeling of being high, um, naturally. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm really stifling myself because I've just gone the synthetic way right away. And I've not even tried meditation or all these other things that you can do. So just knowing that that existed and that was another way to achieve that. I felt like it was almost the easy way out to take drugs or take totally. And so yeah, just a little bit of everything, but you know, nowadays it's really cool because there are these sober events like daybreaker it's like a morning dance party and it's the same thing that i used to love but i don't have to be you know (laughs) poisoning my body to experience it yeah exactly i can really relate to that i did a lot of psychedelics for a long time and i still have a positive relationship with experimenting with psychedelics if i feel like it's really serving me and i'm using it as a functional medicine Mm -hmm. um but i had the same thing and i realized that we could elicit the emotional response through meditation i don't know if you've tried the wim hof technique but that one really was pretty amazing. Just the breath work that you can do to give a rush of endorphins to your brain just with oxygen um, is pretty incredible. And that was such a shift too. So it's it's cool to hear you, uh, you know, talk about finding alternatives that like gave you the same feeling. Yeah, I haven't tried that method specifically, but breath work is like sometimes still a little bit crazy to me. Like I've gotten close, but I almost feel I have this little bit of fear of reaching that because I associate it with, you know, my past experiences. Um, but I think I am sometimes really envious of people who have this healthy functional relationship with psychedelics now because I see that it's something that when done responsibly and properly, there are positive effects. It's just, it's all about moderation, I think, with all things, you know? 
Moderation, totally, and intention. I think exactly like we were just talking about with escapism. If we're taking anything for the purpose of escaping because we feel uncomfortable, it's going to give us a totally different result than taking something um, to gain new insight or um, expand your consciousness instead of just kind of shutting everything off. But there's such a fine line between that. But yeah, psychedelics have been really interesting to research, especially uh, with end of life care and um, hospice patients, like helping them kind of expand as they go into the the next dimension. (laughs) As I like to think about it. And I'm interested too. So you decided to, I've heard of Daybreaker. I've never been, uh, but, but it seems fun. What was that like? It's super fun. Um, I've gone to a couple now. Um, They host them. I think it's usually on a boat. I'd only been to the ones that they posted on like land, I guess, mm-hmm. different areas, but they had one that was really cool. It was at the National History Museum. Um, it's like five in the morning and they <laughs> do among dinosaurs, which is really cool. Oh my God. Yeah, it's awesome. a dance party and they always have like breakfast bites around. So it's just a really positive way to start your day, I think. And like, you'll see some people run out of there and like their work outfit and then they go to work, which I think yeah. is really cool as well. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's a really nice balance of not being too granola because for some people I think that makes it feel just scary or like something that they don't feel it is approachable um but they make it fun just like a morning dance party and some people aren't you know sober but they are at that party and that's fine you know yeah yeah and it gets you up that early I'm so impressed I'm still like working on getting my morning started earlier but I can't imagine going at 5 (laughs) a.m someday (laughs) someday I'll get over there um and did you find that your friend group was changing as you were changing too or how Um, did your social life change yeah it's definitely changed a lot um because I would be at clubs like most days of the week in the past um Mm -hmm. then when I first came to college in the U.S. I was, I mean, at the time I was still underage, first years of college, but that was something that I sought out. And so I immediately, like, you find the people that are interested in going out to and you find a way and you go. Um, But I realized that because I hadn't grown up with these people from college, we didn't have a connection beyond that, like I did with friends in high school. Um, In high school, it was like we all grew up and we started kind of doing that together. Whereas here, these were brand new people I'd never met before. And um, I think what was really hard was that if I ever had something happen, um, during like daytime hours or just like normal hours of the day, they weren't there. They were down to go out whenever, no matter how late. But when it came down to like, do you want to do something normal? Do you want to get breakfast? Like they just weren't there. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mind at first, but I think I realized later on, as soon as I became more committed to actually healing and working through things that I needed people who were there for, for real. Yeah. Um, so I think through, um, you know, yoga and just really spending a lot of time doing things that I really love to do. I met a lot of people who had similar interests and it was really hard for me because I'm not extroverted at all. Um, I think that when I drank, I could be more extroverted for sure. But then I would have friends that I made who knew extroverted me. And when I wasn't drinking, I almost felt like I couldn't connect with them on the same level. I was like, why are we friends? Yeah. um, Yeah. I I mean, I lost a lot of friends, but I think for a good reason. And um, a lot of them were bad influences on me as well. But I mean, I can't really blame them. It's just the norm and what we used to do together. Um, whereas once I realized that, you know, I had these other interests, it was really easy to just like settle into those spaces and connect with people once I was there. Cause I knew that at least we had that common ground. Yeah. And our relationships are such mirrors. It's really interesting to look back on in the same way, like who I was friends with 
five years ago versus now. And it's, it's very different and it's never like they did anything wrong or anything. It's more just like, as you grow your, your surroundings change. And I always try to stay really present of that too. Like what, what is my physical environment looking like? Who are the people surrounding me? Who am I speaking to? What am I spending my time on? And is it reflecting the highest version of who I want to be? And sometimes it's uncomfortable to approach that, but um, it's really interesting to reflect on. So take me through your um, your timeline a little bit. So you moved over to the States when you were young, and then um, then you ended up in the corporate world. Did you go to school before then and shift into this kind of corporate world before you went full on veggie-kins? Or like, what was that like for you? Yeah, so um, so yeah, my family is from New Jersey um, and you know, we lived here. And then when I was seven, I moved to Asia. Then I lived there and I came back for college. So that was when I came back. Um, and I mean, I, yeah, I went the traditional route. I definitely thought it was gonna be a traditional route. At first I wanted to be a therapist and I thought, I can't do that because I cry with people all the time. And I just, that's not what people need. <laughs> so that was the window. But I did have a psych degree. So I thought HR would be great. Um, and I did that for um, a summer as an internship. And that turned into a full-time job. But I had these nine months in between my graduation. I graduated um, in the winter a little bit early. So I had these nine months between then and when my first job would start. And during that time, I did a lot of traveling alone. Um, but I think it was just this feeling of like, I guess an existential crisis almost of like, I had no school or work or anything to report to during those nine months. And I was very free, but it was almost this scary feeling of being so free yeah. um, and being alone with yourself. Cause I traveled by myself. So I really got to like hang out with myself and just, get to know myself in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, I went to my job and I started. And after three months, um, I left my job because I started to kind of break down and revert to old habits again. So it was borderline relapse. And I just kind of decided in that moment that if I couldn't spend the time and dedicate it to the healing, like once and for all, and just kind of get to the root of everything that I didn't think I could work, mm-hmm. um, do anything else really. And so it wasn't intentional to take a leap or anything like that. I just felt like I was at this edge where I had to make a decision for myself and um, really commit to healing. So I was going to therapy every single day um, and had that dedicated time, which was so great. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just kind of started doing the blog stuff a little bit more because I had that free time, um, not necessarily thinking about it as a job, but as it started to progress, I realized like this is something that could be a job and it's something that I really enjoyed. And, um, you know, I was looking into jobs, but at that point it started to kind of grow and become something that felt a little bit more, um, sustainable. So I just kind of went with it. And my mentality has always been, um, that, I'm open to, you know, I'm not like, I never want to work for someone again. I'm open to it if it's the right job, but I know now that I have to prioritize um, my health and well-being before trying to give my energy to anyone else, whether it's like a company or whatever else. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So along with, um, you've got this blog, you've got a YouTube channel, like you seem so super organized. And I'm also curious just how you, from a business perspective, managed to kind of grow yourself into this business and what kind of habits um, that you keep every day that help you sustain that and keep you working for yourself like this? I think I definitely thrive off of having 
order and like to-do lists. That's just my personality type for sure. But because I know that, I think I do try to maintain a little bit of um, a routine and it's flexible, but it's more like these are a few things that I need to get done every single day, or this is something I need to get done once a week. And as long as I get those done, um, I give myself the time to do whatever else that is, you know, um, that I'm free to do, which is probably the best part of having a flexible job like this. Um, I would say in a way I'm a little bit of a workaholic. I often have to kind of tell myself to step back and forcefully do that because I can, you know, it's something that you enjoy. And so you fall into this trap sometimes of just working so hard and not even realizing because you don't feel the burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And I would say the biggest thing that helped me though, was really just feeling confident enough to recognize that what I was doing was a business. And then that is so important because I think you need to behave like it is a business because it is. So, you know, being professional with your emails, replying to things in a timely manner, thinking about working hours. And, you know, if that means sometimes like you do have to kind of stay in all day, even if it's a really nice day outside and you could go swimming because you are a freelancer, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to just realize that at the end of the day, it is still a job. And, um, you know, yeah. So I think that's what really helps me. Um, I learned a lot of the business stuff as I was kind of going through it. Um, so I guess I would say if you're able to do that research beforehand and like prepare yourself for it better, it would definitely be an easier transition. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the number one rule that I kind of live by as far as being on social media, because, you know, everyone nowadays is on social media and anybody could be considered um, an influencer or a blogger. I think it's important to be able to offer something of value and add value to people's lives. Yes, um, not everyone would that. agree with that. And, you know, I could even say that some fashion bloggers do add value to people's lives. Um, maybe they're like sharing really great sales, doing like roundups of like clothing posts or like showing you how to style different pieces. But at the end yeah. of the day, I think that it's really important to be adding value to people's lives and using the skills that you have. Cause everyone has a specific skill. I can't believe that there are sober bloggers and that's their content or even vegan food. Like who would have thought, but for me, it's like relying on the fact that I know that I know how to use a real camera. Um, I'm really confident in that I can edit videos, things like that. Um, so just really remembering what skills you have that are technical. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's also important for any situation in which like, let's say social media kind of disappears or something like that. Oh my goodness. You are just speaking my language right now. And you're, <laughs> you're just like, the points you're making are so accurate because you have these tangible skills and not only that you're giving, you absolutely are giving people value every day, whether it's just offering an experience that you've had that people can relate to and connect with and say, Oh, I I feel seen or I can really connect to you. Um, My Instagram got hacked and deleted two weeks ago and I had used it as kind of, you know, a, whatever you want to call it, like kind of influencer-y, a lot of just selfies and kind of cute pictures of myself with minimal captions. And I felt like I had to kind of keep that up all the time. And on the side, it's just started this lifted Instagram. And I look at my Instagram being taken down now. Um, Sorry to sidetrack, but as just this kind of like, maybe the best thing that's happened to me, because I look at it and I was like, I wasn't really giving people value. I was giving people this edited version of myself every day uh, that really had no super foundation other than to get attention for myself. So it was a really good check-in when it got deleted and I, and I'm still fighting to get it back, but I'm not going to be so sad if it's not there because I, I had a wake up major wake up call. So 
it's really nice to hear you say that you focus on bringing value to people and, and you have a strong intention behind your Instagram. That's so scary. I think that's one of my greatest fears for sure. But also I think what's really great about that is you can quickly identify whether people are there for you or your content. And sometimes it's good to integrate a little bit of both, which I think is another reason why I started including more lifestyle things and the stories and the experiences because so many people can post vegan recipes, but at the end of the day, if somebody is invested in you and really connects with you, no matter what you're doing, they're going to follow you. And it becomes a little bit less scary to branch out into other things. Yeah. Um, but I hate that. <laughs> like so many successful people and entrepreneurs, they always say to like branch out and have your hands in like so many things. I'm like, I cannot do any more things than this. Yeah. But I feel good about the fact that I own my own website and newsletter list and like things like that, that I feel like, you know, if Instagram were to go away, I would probably be devastated still, but yeah. there are other things that I could do and skills that I have that don't make me feel like I'm completely lost. Right. Um, yeah. You'd be okay. Cause you have a really strong community and like, you've got your website and, and my learning experience was to kind of level up to where you are now is to, okay, get your website going, get really like real about what you need to do to, you know, kind of exactly like branch out a little bit, but just be more, consistent and professional with this and it's okay if it gets like my value shouldn't be on a picture that I take it should be on you know what I'm giving to a community and knowledge or whatever I'm gaining if, if that makes any sense but yeah, that's terrifying though it reminds yeah. me of that one day where Instagram was down and people were having this like crisis mm-hmm. and I did for two minutes and then I was like well I guess now I have more time to edit my YouTube video and I put that up <laughs> I was like, there you go that's the difference between you know, relying yeah. so much on one thing, but it is definitely an, a moment of just like awakening, I think, and yeah. stepping back because nobody that I know is like able to completely just turn off Instagram and be fine with it for like a week, except for my boyfriend. He just doesn't go on. <laughs> Me too. What is with <laughs> our boyfriends? Like my boyfriend's like, uh, doesn't look at it for like a month, but yeah. it's our business. It's like mine was, I was like getting income off of that. I was getting clients from that for social media consultation. So it was kind of scary to have it taken down, but at the same time, like kind of proof that the universe will take care of you because right. That it went down, and I thought my world was going to end. I felt so violated. I was very much in victim mode, like, sucks for me. And then I was like, okay, my life is not that different. I'm still me, and it's okay. And nothing's really changed. I felt this sense of loneliness, like, I lost some of my community. Right. But um, that was the biggest thing. I felt lonely. And then I was like, what do you need, Helen? Like, what's, what do you need to feel like combat that feeling and fill that in? And I was like, I need real human in-person connection. And then the universe just flooded me with friends like that I had been, hadn't seen in a while. And it was like, I really keep thinking about this as this blessing, which maybe is (laughs) from denial of it sucking that it got (laughs) deleted, but it's also like really opened up some perspective. So that was totally a tangent. But um, I'm also curious about what you're working on now. Like kind of what, what are you looking forward to in your, in your expansion? Um, so I guess something that's been a challenge, but a good challenge for me has been in-person stuff. And I do love it. I think that there's so much value in being able to literally physically hug somebody and connect with them in person um, more so than you can online. And 
that's been something that I, I feel like I almost like prepare myself for it. And I do a lot of like hyping myself up for it in a negative way though. I'll be like, Oh my God, I'm going to be so exhausted after this event because I'm so introverted. Oh my God, it's going to be awful. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was like, I stopped saying that about it and it was fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot more panels and just speaking in real life, um, going to different events has been really cool. Hosting events, even, um, stuff like that has been a huge change for me and a shift, but it's really nice too, because it almost makes what you're doing on Instagram feel a little bit more real. You're like, Oh wow, there are actually people out there. Because when I think about the numbers, sometimes, um, I guess nowadays, like influencers, I would say like most of the big ones are like millions and up. And for me, it's like, I can still feel relatively small, but when I think about the number of people following me in a room as like bodies, that's huge. Yeah. Um, so I guess translating that into real life and being able to meet people in real life um, has been really cool for me. I've been working on a lot more speaking, um, writing, contributing to different kind of outlets, which has been so different for me because I'm used to it being my audience. And honestly, it kind of sucks sometimes because it's this audience that doesn't know you and isn't like rooting for you and will definitely pick apart anything that they like don't agree with, um, which is also cool though, because I feel like that is doing the work outside of your community already. You know, you're kind of preaching to the choir if you stay into that bubble and very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess along with writing, I've been doing um, some work into putting out a book, which has been really cool because it's something that I wanted to do for maybe a year now. And I've been pretty open and vocal. I thought about the fact that I wanted to do it kind of hoping like, this is me like manifesting it and visualizing it and vocalizing it. And like, it's going to come. And I was doing the work. I was reaching out to like different contacts that I had and it it would always fall through in some way that kind of made me feel like, okay, maybe this is my sign and my way of knowing that this is not the exact path for me or maybe not right now. Um, But the moment I stopped trying, then all of a sudden I got emails. um, And so, yeah, it's maybe going to go there, but I feel less attached to it. It's kind of just like, it would be nice and I would love to do that. But if not, then whatever else is the plan for me is, yeah, is it? <laughs> I love that. I have the same thing too with putting out music sometimes. And I find that like, if we force it and it feels like such a hard job, it's like it blocks off the real creative energy from flowing and for it to really flourish. And then once we just kind of relax and we go into what feels really good and like allow ourselves time. So I feel like, um, in our 20s too, it can seem like we have this timeline, or at least I feel like that sometimes, like before I hit 30, I need to have these things done. And I was just kind of thinking throughout last night, like that's so much pressure to put on ourselves. And I think women especially deal with this, like feeling that we have this timeline to get everything done Um, and balancing that between, okay, yeah, be really productive. Like, don't be lazy, like get it done. But also like, there's no need to force something that doesn't feel as authentic and for your book, it's okay if it takes you a few years to get that done. And even just having the gears turning now is just awesome. But people talk about writing a book like having a baby. It's like yes. the whole thing. Definitely. So can imagine that it'll take a, a, a long time, but it's just awesome that you're that you're working on that. Do you know what what's kind of your theme? What's the content? 
that you have in um, mind? Well, my initial um, idea, I guess, and what I thought that I wanted was kind of a combination of a lifestyle and recipe book. So, you know, recipes, I think most people would assume automatically, like that's what your book's going to be about. And I do love it. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. But I think that my focus would sort of be on this holistic view of food and mm. thinking about recipes in a less literal sense. So a recipe for like a good day, for example, um, pieces of things that I love and have learned along the way, um, including, you know, chakras and auras and um, everything from like herbal healing to tonics and Ayurveda, like everything, a little bit of that. And so it would kind of be almost just like recipe for living well versus just food. Cause I kind yeah. of wanted to be a little bit more mindful than that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the plan that I had in mind, but it was interesting because the pitch that I kind of got was one for something that focused a little bit more on sober living. And I'd always felt this sort of, um, almost like imposter syndrome in that space, because it's not something that I talk about as much as I talk about other things and just wellness in general. I just don't talk about it on a daily basis, not even maybe monthly. So I was like, I don't know if I really have the authority, but that is something that I've realized, like, I think I could do that. And I definitely feel connected to it. And it's, I have to remember that again, it's not the same community that reads books that is on Instagram necessarily, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, that's one idea and one path that's kind of in talks. And then the other pitch that I received was for just a straight up vegan cookbook. So neither of them are really exactly what I wanted, but I almost feel like it's the first step and it's just important to kind of do the work and do something tangible. And then from there, kind of see how it goes. It is such a learning curve because I know nothing about the book world and it's a new process to me. It's so foreign. So um, yeah, that's kind of what it's been. Oh, that's so exciting though. And now you kind of know what you maybe don't want. So if you know it, like, oh, and I don't really want to go in this path, but it seems like you have a an idea of like where that could go, which is really exciting. That's like a big undertaking too, but you have all this experience with writing, you know, and, and this, it's just seems like kind of a natural extension of who you already are just in like tangible form. It's so funny. Cause it's definitely, I mean, I think it, it comes out and I try to just, I dictate a lot of my stuff and I feel like I'm just talking to a friend, for example, but mm-hmm in a weird way, like writing stresses me out so much. Like I think I mentioned earlier, writing for any kind of blog or publication outside of my own, I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels like school again. And it's just like stressful and scary in that way. I don't feel like I could call myself a writer, but at the end of the day, I do write a lot. So like, I guess in a way I am. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just reading your blog posts and everything, it's like, you have a very clear, you are writing, you're a writer. Totally. I think I love picking up on what you were talking about with the imposter syndrome um, and feeling like, I think a lot of us feel this way as we're getting into new endeavors or new fields. Like, am I worthy of being in this area? There's so many other people doing kind of the same thing. Where do I fit in? Do you ever feel like that? And how do you, how do you combat those feelings? I definitely feel that way. I think it comes also with just being someone that makes money online. There's just so much stigma around like, oh, these people that just blog and post whatever. But mm-hmm. those moments, like an odd email I'll get from somebody saying like, I made your banana bread. And like, here's a cute picture of my son eating it. Like that is just all the validation that I need. Oh, yeah. You know? That's so cute. Um, and I think also just seeing the industry become something that is legitimately an industry um, and all the money that's going into it from brands and these larger corporations like really really gearing into that um but in general I guess for any kind of situation I just try to remember that it's not really about being the best at any one thing because with that mindset like you're just never going to feel satisfied or accomplished I guess it's more of 
setting personal goals and saying, you know, if I can write blog posts and do that consistently, that's, you know, I'm a writer. I feel like I write or recipe development. Like, you know, I posted a recipe for a PB and J that's still a recipe. So I guess I just try to remember that and just be gentle with myself. I'm pretty good about telling my friends and like hyping them up and giving them the confidence. And I am so bad about doing that with myself. Mm. So um, yeah, I guess listening to my own advice. (laughs) Yeah. I can relate to that. (laughs) And for those of us, like I just learned how to start cooking for myself. It was like a reparenting thing. When I started uh, dating my now boyfriend, he really (laughs) (laughs) totally taught me how to like cook well, like was making us these delicious vegetables and seasonings. And I was like, oh my God, like finally I'm learning how to feed myself. (laughs) And I'm curious to know like what advice you might give to people that feel really like cooking is a daunting task. And how do, you know, how do people even start cooking for themselves or relearn food a little bit? Yeah, that is definitely, it's definitely hard, especially when you're doing things like from scratch, if you came from a background of being used to eating, you know, more packaged or ready-made things. Um, I think for me is kind of having this relationship with the ingredients. So it sounds kind of silly, but like going to farmer's markets and you can even talk to the farmers about, you know, what is this ingredient that you've never cooked with before? How do they usually like to make it? Um, and really nailing down one meal that you can really make and you enjoy. Like it could be a pasta or a salad. And then from there starting, like, I'm going to experiment with adding this vegetable or this protein to it. And then I'm going to try and search up the flavors and like spices. I think a lot of people are afraid to trust in their own taste buds. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's not a legitimate recipe, but the best way to do things I feel like is always to taste. I almost hate writing recipes for that reason, because so often I want to say, just eyeball it. And like, taste it as you go. And people are like, I need measurements. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, but like, you probably like things a little sweeter or less sweet than I do. So, you know, I think it's just like being comfortable with um, just tasting things and doing a very like play it by ear kind of method. And then if it messes up, like you either save it, you know, throw a little something on there that always makes something taste good or just like start over. It's, um, I think it's just the fear of that and the fact that people think it's a huge time commitment. Um, and if it is like make it fun and do it with a friend, you know? Yeah. I love that. It makes it sound more playful, like just experimental and not so rigid. Yeah, do you yeah. like to do um, meal prep for the days before or like, how do you like, cause cooking does take time. So how do you uh, make sure that you're set for the day? So it's, it's kind of funny because even though I'm like posting all these recipes each day and recipe testing, a lot of the times I can't eat them until the day after or the next day, because yeah. I've got to make sure I have my, my photos down, all my prep shots. Um, sometimes it takes like a day of prep beforehand. And what I try to do for recipe sake is I'll prep all the ingredients as much as I can. I try to think almost like a chef, like, you know, you'll see on these cooking shows, they've got like each ingredient in their own little cup, but it really does maximize like the time that you have to actually spend making the recipe when you don't have to do that cleanup. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do that usually at night when like there's no sun and I don't feel pressure to like use that sunlight to take a picture. And I just set up all the ingredients. Um, but as far as like what I actually eat in a day, it's kind of funny because I end up eating really boring meals. Um, I'll either eat leftovers from like two days ago from the freezer. I have a ton of stuff in the freezer from like recipe testing mm-hmm. or it's like a 10 minute meal that I have as my go-to that's like nutritionally balanced that I just feel like I can just eat this and cook it in five minutes. And I know that I'm going to be set for lunch or whatever. So sometimes I end up doing that. Um, in the beginning when I was first recipe developing, it was really hard to not eat like four brownies and be like, well, shoot, now I'm really full. 
and not yo meal. Um, So I have to learn kind of a little bit of that as well, which was hard, you know, with my relationship with food in the past, but um, that strengthens it as well. Now, just knowing that like, this is going to be my core meal I'm going to rely on. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, if I have leftovers, maybe that will be my lunch the next day. But yeah, the food I eat on a daily basis is really not glamorous at all. It's very ugly. (laughs) (laughs) But it looks nice for the picture. Do you take vitamins or uh, use supplements or do you focus on nutrition to get most of your vitamins? Um, I try and do nutrition through um, just the food that I'm eating as much as I can, but I think it's really hard with the quality of our food these days. Mm. So, um, you know, but as a vegan, it's really important B12, no matter what, like you've got to do it. So that's something I do with no problems. Um, I will do probiotics sometimes because um, I try so hard to love sauerkraut, but I just don't. Oh, same. I have to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is so good for me, but I can't, I just can't. Um, (laughs) And other things I'll do like um, sometimes zinc, sometimes magnesium, but if I can, I'll try and do things through like Chinese herbs adaptions first and then go that way. But I think, you know, in general, my approach to health is like, yes, I love like alternative medicine first and natural of course is like my preferred method, but there are certain things that you just have to accept that Western medicine is really good for as well. And I think like, especially with mental health, you know, like, I will say like antidepressants, I think changed my life when I was on them for a little bit. And um, yeah, I wouldn't not do that again. So. Yeah. So are you, um, if you're comfortable telling me, are you now on antidepressants or are you on medicine? Cause I know you've kind of fluctuated back and forth be- mm-hmm. between the two. So how are you now? Um, so now I'm not, um, but I notice, you know, there are certain things I need to do to keep myself at this like 100%. I think it's kind of like when your tank isn't full, every kind of issue that you've dealt with before will come back. And it's kind of like this management thing that you have for life, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but it's just really learning to manage. I don't think you can ever fully recover from certain things. Um, It's just something that you live with and you learn how to balance it. But um, I would say like right now I'm not on anything, but I was during high school at different points. And I experimented with like not wanting to be on them. I also was on antidepressants while also like drinking and doing other drugs, which was just like completely pointless, but I hadn't realized that at the time. I think like now I would really like to focus on having things in my brain and in my body just as balanced as possible. So knowing that I've spent years doing things that are not great for my hormones, my receptors, like all of that. Um, I just try and focus on doing things as naturally as possible, but yeah, I'm open to it. Um, like during that time that I felt like I needed to quit my job, I went on antidepressants again for a little bit and I had no, you know, I had no guilt about it. I didn't feel conflicted about whether or not I should do it. It was just like, I know this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Good for you. That's just like trusting yourself. I love that. And the last thing I want to ask you too, is there any kind of like piece of wisdom that you carry with you or a quote or a mantra that you use to keep yourself centered? Um, I think my favorite quote, and I think I saw it on Tumblr when I was really young, but it's stayed with me ever since. And it's let your past make you better, not bitter, because I had a lot of anger around a lot of the things that happened to me. And just like you were saying earlier, just like this victim mindset. Um, and I feel that sometimes when we talk about mental health, even though we're talking about recovery, it's not always uplifting. Sometimes people just want to share this dramatic negative story. And I think it's important to do that. And it's valid to share, but at the same time, always think about the lessons at the end of it, or how you can turn that into a positive, both for yourself and for anyone else reading. I think the transfer of energy is so real. So it's important to kind of focus on where you're going from here and not see it as a, this is where I am right now. And it sucks. <laughs> Love that. That's beautiful. That's such a good way to end it. Let your past make you better, not bitter. 
Love it. I'm going to write that down. And Remy, where can people find you? What's the best way to, to find you online? Um, so on Instagram, I'm at Veggiekins. I think Pinterest and YouTube are also all the same. And then I have my blog, which has all the recipes and some of the writing, which is veggiekinsblog.com. Amazing. And I'll put those in the in the show notes too. But thank you so much. That was so special to have you on and, and hear about your journey. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Remy on Instagram and YouTube at Veggiekins. And I'm on Instagram at We Are Lifted. Cheers. Talk to you soon.